This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast, the podcast where we talk to brewery owners and ask questions about owning a brewery so that future brewery owners can learn a thing or two. My name is Mike Curtin. If you haven't subscribed yet, the time is now. Happy 4th of July weekend. I hope you're having a great one. Happy birthday, America. This is episode number 74, and in this episode, I speak to Eric Serrani, co-owner of Flight Co. Brewing in Denver, Colorado. Eric tells us about his learning curve with customer service, how he created a culture for his brewery, basically how he needed to hire the right people instead of just a body to do the job, and he tells us how the breweries near him are competition, but they're extremely helpful. I'm not really sure the podcast industry is like that. I don't know anybody that's like, hey, don't listen to my podcast, listen to this guy's podcast. Maybe they do, but I don't know too many podcasters, and it seems weird that I don't. Because everybody has a podcast nowadays. Even me, somebody that shouldn't have a podcast. Weird, I know. Enough about talking about podcasts. Now it's time to listen to podcasts. Episode 74. Here you go. Enjoy. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Order Podcast. And today I'm with Eric Serrani of Flyco Brewing in Denver, Colorado. Hey Mike. Eric, how's it going? Good, good. How's Thanks everything? for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. I appreciate you taking out the time. Uh, so, can you just uh, give me a, a like a quick background background of how you got into brewing? You know where you grew up and yeah. all that good stuff. Yeah, it's a it's kind of a long interweaving story of my entire life. Uh, went to uh, CU Boulder um, here in Colorado. I grew up in Broomfield, Colorado, um, just a suburb of Denver. Uh, went to school at University of Colorado for engineering. I went into aerospace engineering, um, study airplanes and rockets and stuff. And uh, my brother-in-law got me a homebrew kit for my 21st birthday and had no idea how to use it. Just looked like a, a fun thing to try out. And as a, a college student, you know, the, the prospect of making your own essentially free alcohol was very, very intriguing. Um my now business partner, Jason Slingsby, uh, was a, a classmate of mine. He was in chemical engineering, um, and he just really fell in love with the brewing process, the, the recipe creation process, um, making you know the perfect balanced beer down to the molecular level, um, all that. And I was more of the, the systems, mechanical, electrical engineer that liked building things. So I'd build them uh, temperature-controlled chambers, uh, to really kind of control the whole process of brewing beer. And just the combination of him on the recipe side, me on the process side, uh, we just started making really, really good beer. Um, kept us together throughout the years. We went and took uh, engineering jobs as you know, normal people with engineering degrees go do after college. And both uh, found that we really didn't like big bureaucracy, um, kind of these big companies that we were finding ourselves getting into, uh, and our natural entrepreneurial drive kind of brought us back together, brought us back to Colorado. Um, we played around with it for a few more years. Uh, our third business partner, Morgan O'Sullivan was my next door neighbor. Uh, we moved in within days of each other. We, we cut a hole, uh, in between our fences, made a gate, had a, a a combined backyard for really, really big backyard barbecues. About 150 people would show up. Jason and I would 
homebrew beer. Uh, we get chef friends to cater some just really fantastic food, and it just became a thing. Uh, all our friends were telling us that we should do it for a living, and a couple friends even said that they'd invest. So that kind of started the snowball of actually looking into turning a turning a passion into a brewery. So it's it's been been quite the journey. A lot of you know bumps along the road, but you know. We're, we're still here thriving. Gotcha. Very cool. Now, you said that uh, you started making some really good beer while home brewing. Was your first beer a success? And do you remember oh, what yeah. beer that was? No, it, first beer, <laughs> absolutely not. It, it was horrible. Um, you but, never is, right? Yeah, as a, as a college student, it still had alcohol in it, so we're not, we're not dumping right. it down the drain. It's, no, absolutely not. We'll get finished one way or the other. Uh, I, it probably took about two or three batches. We started, man, I remember we made like a, a dark lager, the first lager we ever tried in home brewing, uh, you know, putting it, fermenting it in a refrigerator, uh, really surprised us. I think that was kind of a, a turning point of just mixing, uh, you know, extracts together and, and following a recipe versus kind of getting a little creative and, and trying some of the harder, more more complicated stuff really opened our eyes to everything that we, we could be doing. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of dark beers, I'm uh, trying one of your beers. Oh, right yeah. Now. Is that the uh, the Ski Plane yeah. Stout? Yeah. That is the Stout, American Stout. Yep. That was a, a new beer that, that Jason whipped up this year. It's, I don't know. He, very good. Very, very balanced. Oh, wow. all, his, all his beers are... Very well balanced. Uh, never, never too hoppy. Never too bitter. Um, no. Plays right in in the lines of a, a good American stout. So, yeah, great mouthfeel. Even in the summertime, good. it's good beer. Yeah. yeah, no, it's not too heavy. It's perfect. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. I, uh, I'm glad I have one more. I'm glad I have one more in the fridge. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you you guys opened uh, in March of 2019, mm-hmm. right? Um, yep. You open for about a year, COVID hits. How do you go about pivoting to make your business work and to continue being successful? Yeah, I mean that's that's all you can do is pivot uh, on a on a daily basis. Back then, uh, yeah, our, our first year of business. I think we had our one year anniversary the weekend before all the shutdowns. Uh, so we got fortunate in the sense that we had you know our, our big biggest busiest weekend ever. Um, a couple days before everything was shut down. So kind of sent us, you know, off on uh, vacation with a little bit of money in the bank. Uh, that, yeah, right. that vacation didn't last very long. I think it was the next day, uh, the three owners, you know, we're, we're sitting there, uh, no revenue to pay the staff. So we got to you know, furlough the staff uh, and then just get creative of how do we make money this week or today even. Um, the uh, they still allowed to go beer sales, so we we created a, a beer drive-through in our parking lot with a big sign, and you know uh, we'll come out to your car, hand it to you. Uh, they allowed for delivery in Denver, so just you know put it out on Facebook. Anyone stuck at home, I will personally hand deliver a beer from our brewery right. to you. <laughs> um, and it, it forced us to do things that we weren't planning on doing for a long time. We um, we created an e-commerce store on our website so that 
friends and family all around the country uh, could support by t-shirt hats um, and we'd, we'd ship them off. Right. Uh, we got into a little bit of mobile canning. Uh, you know, that wasn't really in our five-year plan of, of putting beers in cans and, and selling them to liquor stores, but yeah. lo and behold. Those mobile canning guys made, made a killing, I'm sure. Yeah, and being in Denver, man, there's so much, so many resources here. There's, you know, every... Every ingredient you could ever want on demand, it's all at the warehouses nearby. Um, and then, yeah, mobile canners, industry supports, incredible. So we did that. We got our beers, a few of our beers packaged, sold in liquor stores, um, you know, pushed further out into the world that, you know, we, we normally wouldn't have done for a while. So, yeah, it was it was tough. Um, you know, we, we, we grabbed the, the government assistance, the PPP funds, um, everything that was available to, to kind of keep the business afloat. Uh, but, yeah, it was really our, our neighbors. Um, we were fortunate to be in a good neighborhood where people would stop by and buy $50, $100 worth of craft beer just to take home and, and, and drink. So, uh, That's a feeling, I'm sure. Yeah, I'd, I like to say I, I hate saying it um, because the pandemic was a horrible thing that did a lot of horrible things to people's lives and families, but it it made us stronger. Uh, it just it was day after day after day of problems, and after enough problems, you kind of start to see your problems differently. It's as opportunities as um, you know op- solutions rather than just more stuff piling up that's that's dragging you down. So. It was a a good learning learning curve for sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, So during uh, that process of, because you had been working on this brewery for, you said, a while Mm -hmm. uh, prior to opening. Um, From that whole, during that whole process, um, what would you say was the hardest part from you from the the inception of the idea to open up a brewery to the actual opening of the doors, what would you say was the hardest part? Uh, oh man, it, it's all kind of mushed together in my mind, but, uh, you know, figuring out, I'm, I'm an engineer, uh, Jason's an engineer. We know the, the process, the technical process of making a beer. Um, and now we tell everyone that's the easiest thing we do is actually make beer. Uh, the whole business aspect of everything, financing, lending, uh, lease negotiations, uh, you know, all these things that was not prepared to go into when we said we just wanted to make beer for a living. Um, yeah, I, figuring out how to talk with banks, uh, you know, you may have a great idea, but being able to articulate your idea on paper through a business plan, um, you know, creating enough documents to show people that are willing to invest in institutions that are willing to invest that you actually know what you're doing and won't just go lose their money is, is kind of a, a skill that no one told me that I, I needed to have to. Um, but now I do sure. after many, many failed attempts. Uh, yeah, we, we tried starting up in two other locations and it just, it fell apart because you know, the, the pieces weren't there in place. And finally, uh, on the third, third or fourth attempt, uh, it all came together, right place, uh, right time, good location, uh, good support group of investors and it all just kind of, it happened when it was supposed to happen. So, Right. Very cool. Um, you need to shut that off. 
Sorry. Oh, all good. I didn't realize the AC was on. It's really hot over here in New York right now. <laughs> so um, you talk about your friends wanted to invest and, you know, getting involved with banks. How did you actually go about finding the capital altogether to fund your business? Just networking. Uh, you know, one or two friends said that, you know, they'd be interested in helping us out. And then you ask if they introduce you to their network of friends uh, and then just turn that into, you know, a couple hundred contacts and maybe at the end of the day, one or two said yes and want to jump on board. Uh, yeah, just okay. kind of getting beaten up. Yeah. Having, having people rip apart your plan, rip apart your dreams in, in front of your face over and over again, uh, puts a, some, some thicker skin on, um, at, you know, to, to handle the situations in the future. But you also learn what, what investors and banks are, are wanting to hear, uh, you know, saying the right things that will put them at ease that you're not going to waste their money or time. Um, and then for banks, I, I, just cold called pretty much everyone in town, I, you know, got a list of 50 banks and called every single one of them asking about lending options. And not many, uh, will even talk to you as a startup. Um, especially in the restaurant space. Um, our initial plan was actually to start up as a brew pub. So food, okay. um, beer, the whole, the whole deal. And, couldn't find a single lender that would take a startup restaurant. You know, restaurants have a pretty bad uh, you know, success rate to begin with, especially especially the ones that have no operating history or revenue. So we just couldn't make it over that hurdle, and then had to had to cut food completely out of our business plan. And once we did that, we found funding the next day. It was <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you talk about people kind of not, so to speak, stepping on your dreams, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's it could always be a struggle when when you're running into hurdles. Um, what kind of mindset do you think you have um, owning a business? Uh, what kind of mindset do you think you have to have? Rather, I mean, it, it starts. <laughs> so a friend of mine once told me uh, every. Every entrepreneur, everyone that wants to start a business shares two qualities uh, in common. It's uh, confidence and naivete. Uh, so you're, you believe in yourself, but you're, you're dumb enough to actually go do it. Um, right. You don't, you don't know what you know, don't know when you're getting into it. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is, you know, ego driven and, and getting into that um, with that mindset, but over time the world just kind of beats you down until you have. A, I think you need a learner's mindset, um, knowing that you don't know everything, knowing that there's always someone else out there that is going to do it better than you. But the cool thing about the craft beer industry is we all help each other. Um, yeah, our, there's our closest neighbor is a brewery two blocks down the street, and we opened within a month of each other and. You know, rather than be at each other's necks like any other other industry, you know, we, we help each other out uh, when our keg washer breaks or theirs breaks. You know, we, we wash kegs at each other's breweries. We share ingredients. Um, but, yeah, just just kind of being open. It, there's so many, so many curveballs that get thrown that are way out of the realm that you would ever expect that you just got to learn to be patient and and just deal with stuff. Um, cause it's always going to come up. 
Mm-hmm. Is that what? That's your dog? Yeah, you can hear him there. They're they're extra excited. Just trying to make it onto the podcast, man. Yeah, you know. yeah. There's 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 people walking by the house, and you know they got to scare them off. Gotcha. <laughs> of course. You know. What are you doing out here? Yeah. What are you doing out in front of my house? <laughs> um, and when opening when opening your business, uh, besides obviously COVID, uh, what's something you never thought you were going to have to deal with? Um. I guess I, I I didn't think I wasn't gonna have to deal with it at all, but you know I've I've always been an engineer. Whenever I worked at breweries, I always worked in uh, the production line. I don't have too much front of house experience, so the 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 customer service um, aspect of the business was was quite the learning curve for me. Um, right. You know, being an en- engineer, small talk is it was not a, a big skill of mine. It was. You know, it was get to the point. If, if we don't have a point of talking, what's what's the point? <laughs> um, and then just dealing with other people's problems. Um, you know, some people may have had a bad day and come in and, you know, it could be nothing of, of your own volition, but they might freak out, blow up in your brewery. And, and kind of learning some of these, these people skills uh, was has been a, a nice learning experience. That, with along with the staffing, um, you know, management, mentorship, growing, growing a staff, creating a, a, a company culture. Uh, those are all stuff that, you know, I, ne- I never learned in school and, and just kind of had to figure out trial by fire. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you meet some interesting characters on the day to day basis. Always. You know? Yeah. That's what makes it fun though. <laughs> you know, machines are one thing they don't really talk back with. Yeah. You know, there's always problems to solve there, but, uh, as far as people go, that's a that's, bigger that's, mystery. It's, it's always a tricky one. Yep. <laughs> um, and is there any uh, is there any uh, big lessons that you you've actually learned since opening? Oh man, uh, where to begin? Um, yeah, creating a creating a culture, um, hiring the right people rather than just hiring to hire. Uh, there was a number of times with just the weird things that happened over the past two years where, you know, the labor market goes from, you know, over saturated with too many people in the, the labor pool to no one, uh, you know, half the labor pool decides to get out of the industry and, and go do something else. So now there's a, a shortage. Right. Uh, we got into a few times kind of opening back up where we just needed bodies in the building and we hired anyone that would show up to an interview. Um, and it, it filled an immediate need, but kind of the long-term damages of, you know, having some really good employees that have been around for a while and some that, you know, don't really pull their weight created this just kind of bad friction, um, in the company that, we, you know, we're working on other forward-looking projects, but we just had to stop what we're all of our forward progress and go back and revisit the culture, um, and kind of fix some of the the negative things that were coming through. And once we spent some time really digging into it and really listening to people and what they wanted, and um, it turned it turned around 180 degrees and and is is much better now. But yeah, it's it was just eye-opening you know the right people make such a difference 
Yeah, that's yeah. Good helps hard to find. That's <laughs> that's one and and two. I hear like building a team is everything, so you can kind of take, you know, you can stop working in your business and start working on your business. Mm-hmm. These people will kind of run run the show, so to speak, and uh, help you to yeah. continue building. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's important. Uh, I'm sure you've run into a lot of people in the beer industry, and I met tons of people, but. Uh, Who's been the uh, biggest inspiration in the beer industry for you? Hmm. Um, good question. I I spent I spent some time uh, working at Left Hand Brewing in Longmont, and uh, nice. man, they have done a fantastic I love, job. I love their yeah. I love their stout, man. Their yeah, stout, milk stout, the nitro milk stout. I I packaged. Aces. Millions of bottles of, of milk stout. That was <laughs> sure. that was fun. Uh, one of the owners of Left Hand, uh, Eric Wallace uh, and Dick Dor, they were uh, they're in the Air Force. They traveled the world, um, and you know, throughout their travels, discovered that beer was really good around the world. Um, and they were confused when they came back home and and had to go back to drinking yellow water. Um, <laughs> And, you know, they've, they've been at it for over 25 years now. Uh, and, you know, the, the amount of effort that they've put into developing a good company culture, um, you know, being very transparent with, you know, how the, the business operates and, and doing, you know, just goodwill in the world and, and using their platform to, I don't know, make the world a little bit of a better place rather than just make beer and, and push it out the door. So, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, Eric Wallace, Dick Dorr, those, those guys are, are pioneers. They're local. Um, and I, I kind of have a, a personal affiliation to, you know, left-hand brewing and just want to carry kind of that, that vision that they've set out there, um, you know, through our brand as well. Right. Um, and there, I mean, speaking of them, they're very, very successful successful obviously 25 years mm-hmm. going on um is there a moment for you that kind of sticks out as a successful moment where you knew you were going in the right direction um yeah it happens every once in a while where you you get you know it it, it it's usually your friends that are that are behind you the people that that mean the most to you but you know an anniversary party uh when, when all your best friends are in the room that were, you know, the same friends that were telling you that you should go start a business, uh, because we are really good at it and they come back around and, and support you and keep cheering you cheering you on. Uh, those are the moments that kind of keep us going. Um, is it, it doesn't, it doesn't look like what you had initially set out in your dreams, uh, five, 10 years ago, whenever we started. Um, but it's always nice to be reminded that, you know, we are appreciated. The the community loves loves what we do, and um, yeah, actually wants to see us succeed. Yeah, right. That's that's a pretty awesome feeling, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, is there ever a moment where things get a little like overwhelming, uh, where you need to take a break and you need you need a mental break from everything? And if so, what does that look like for you? <laughs> Uh, it depends on how much work needs to be done. Uh, my mental break in life is going flying. Uh, 
have a, a small single engine airplane that my, my father and I uh, built in our garage when I was in high school and I've uh, been flying that for about 17 years now, ever since. Uh, flying is, you know, it's it's part of our brand. We're aviation themed, um, but it, it really is a big part of my life. Uh, it teaches you a lot of skills on, I think there's a lot of skills that you learn getting your pilot's license and uh, that translate well to business because you're, you know, if you, if you take the analogy of, you know, your, your business is your aircraft and if something goes wrong, you got to effectively troubleshoot it. There's no time to, yeah. you know, raise your hand and ask for help and wait for someone to come <laughs> fix it. Um, for sure. So, yeah, going, going flying, it's, it's freeing all of us. It's really the, this cool effect. And when you take off and you climb out, all your problems get really little and they just look like these insignificant little problems. And, uh, kind of seeing the world from that perspective, when you come back down and land, um, gives you just kind of a fresh perspective to go attack all these problems that seemed big, but are in fact pretty small in the grand scheme of things. Um, if I need to clear my head and too much work needs to get done, I love just going and hammering out manual labor. I'll go mop the floors. I'll go, scrub something i'll go you know hang a shelf that needs to be hanged but there's just kind of that like physical uh task that that really is uh productive and helps clear my mind yeah i'm kind of the same way yeah <laughs> so uh any you, you talk about like if you're up in the air and you ever have a problem have that ever happened any problems arose where you had to uh think quick yeah yeah um my my business partner Morgan and I, uh, we were flying to uh, Kansas in the winter one day, and I have a uh, instrument rating, so that allows allows me to fly through the clouds. Uh, and we were flying through the clouds, and one by one, the instruments just started acting up, reading something weird, and turning off. And uh, yeah, that that was that was a moment where you know you don't. You, <laughs> You know, you, you're, you're trusting your instruments to know which way is up and you're, you're wondering if, you know, you, yeah, can, right. you can trust the one that you're looking at or not. Um, but, you know, there's kind of a thought process that they drill into your heads of, you know, this doesn't work, then try this. And uh, we, we slowly descended, uh, found the nearest airport. Uh, it had just snowed, so the ground was white and the clouds were white, so it was kind of hard to tell when you popped out of the clouds. Uh, but we were about... 500 feet above the ground when we uh, found the airport, uh, landed. Um, it, these small country airports are, are funny. There's usually one person there running the whole show. And uh, right. obviously they, they got a, a warning from air traffic control that we were coming in uh, for an emergency landing. And we opened the door. It's raining, snowing. The guy just says, hey, how's it going? Can I get you anything? Change your pants. Uh, so I was just like, that's exactly what we need. Uh, yeah. Some bourbon, yeah. anything. Yeah. So waited the yeah. storm Happy out. Happy drink, please. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you, you'd start to realize why, uh, pilots like to have a, a post flight debrief, uh, beverage. It's usually part of the curriculum. So. Well, hey, you're loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, and you said you've been open since 2019. Um, what do you think has been the biggest change in the industry, in your opinion? Um, 
I mean, COVID did a number on, uh, you know, distribution and packaging. It's been interesting the, the past two years seeing how many people got into packaging, um, canning and, uh, distribution. It was what we had to do for a year or six months or so. It was kind of the only way we could sell beer. Um, but it was, it was already a, a very crowded space, especially in Colorado, uh, grocery store, liquor stores, shelves with craft beer is just insane. It's, there's hundreds and hundreds. It's starting to look like wine stores. Um, yeah, right. and, and competing in that area is, is harder and harder. And I've, I've noticed, um, you know, more people getting into, to canning, um, which will probably venture into shortly, but it, it makes me nervous with an already limited, um, limited shelf space for that kind of stuff and an already saturated market to just kind of flood it with a bunch more, uh, small breweries, but who knows, maybe, maybe it just turns into the wine industry and there's every liquor store has, you know, a hundred, hundred different varieties, uh, from all over the place. And just the selection is yeah. great, but I don't know. I mean, that seems to be the way it's going. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, kind of crazy. You walk in and you can, I can be in a, you know, a beer distributor for yeah. an hour. Easy. Yeah. It's easy. Just going around deciding. It's crazy. The, uh, and there's a, there's a place by, by me called beer town and it's got like, I mean, you're talking shelves and shelves and shelves of beer. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. Yeah. It, it does induce like, some, what, what do I choose? some analysis paralysis in consumers. Uh, often I, I get overwhelmed yeah. with a large menu often. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that in, uh, you know, outdoor patio space, you know, that that's changed a lot. We got, we gained a, a large patio by taking over our parking lot and, we're able to, to rezone our parking lot and keep it permanent. And a lot of places around town are, are kind of keeping, uh, public streets are, are turning more into pedestrian, uh, walkways. And, uh, it's just been a, a shift in the, the Den- Denver is huge for patio season. It's, you know, we love the sun out here. We love yeah, doing I'm stuff sure. outside. So. I was out there not too long ago. Um, uh... And I didn't get a chance to, to swing by there, and I planned on it. Yeah. But I will be coming back out there in October. I don't think it's going to be patio season. Uh, it, it it still can be. It it, it can be. Yeah. You know, October's the time of year. It can be twenty degrees one day and eighty five the next. And I think I'm I think I'm going to make my way out there for the uh, for the beer festival. So yeah, come come stop. You'll be out there, but <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, I actually like last. Last time I was there, I got to stop at, at Beer Stad Lager House, so that was that was a cool experience. I'd never been there, yeah. So love those guys. That was a cool spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world? And probably, oh, probably a, <laughs> a New Belgium Fat Tire. I, I would say, yeah, is, Fat Tire. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it's a Colorado beer. Uh, you know, about mm-hmm. the time that. You know, it, everything really started blowing up. You know, Fat Tire was was what everyone was talking about. Uh, I think the first time I drank it, you know, having only drank Coors Light, you know, College Keystone Light, the, the really really <laughs> light discount beers, uh, no, was yes. just kind of surprised by the 
how much flavor and malt in it. I, I probably didn't like it the first time I tried it, but then had it a few more times. Was like, okay, this is this is a sipping beer. This isn't this isn't beer pong beer. I, I get the difference. And yeah, yeah. Then uh, yeah, once I had a homebrewing kit, then I discovered more craft beers, uh, trying to trying to clone them with with a clone recipe book. And yeah, it snowballed from there. So. What's next for your brewery, and what does the future look like uh, for Flyco? Yeah, we're. we're I, I mean, I've just heard. I heard about the uh, Denver Denver Central Park uh, location. Yeah, which sounds very cool. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, we we've got uh, exciting opportunity in front of us. Um, our second location that we're opening up later this summer is uh, an actual former. Uh, international airport control tower. So in Denver's Central Park neighborhood, the whole neighborhood was formerly Stapleton International Airport, uh, which was Denver's main airport from the 1920s up until 1995. Um, so it's it's got a lot of history behind it. When I was a little kid, I remember flying out of the airport that was right in the middle of the city. And you know, now now if you've been to Denver, you know that our airport is halfway to Kansas. Uh, yes. you land and you're like, I thought there were supposed to be mountains here. There's not. Um, but they tore everything down except for the old control tower, uh, in 2017 or 2016. Uh, there's a company called Punchbowl social that, uh, renovated it, built a, a 20,000 square foot restaurant, bowling alleys, um, mini golf, four bars, you know, two floors. It, it's a really, really big space. And unfortunately, uh, they ran into some trouble during the pandemic and, and couldn't keep, couldn't keep that location afloat. And, uh, stars kind of aligned, um, investors wanted to, to put us in the building and, and we got the opportunity to be in probably the most on-brand location that we could have ever asked yeah. for. <laughs> so that is, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's that's a beautiful thing, man. It is. I'm happy for you guys. That's great. Thank you. It is. It is quite quite the step up for us. It's about five times the size uh, of our original brewery in both you know space and complexity. So we've uh, we've got our work cut out for us for the next few months, but we uh, we've got a stellar stellar management team hired so far um, that's gonna really really help us take off um, pun intended of course Very but, cool. yeah. <laughs> and is there a, a finish line for the for the date when uh, there'll be a grand opening for that uh we're hoping some i know yeah I know construction's crazy yeah i know and... i did construction for many years <laughs> there's always a date and then add another year to it yeah <laughs> luckily um the space was in good enough condition that we're really just repainting redecorating putting our brand on it so not not a ton of major construction ourselves uh, the biggest question is is hiring hourly people. Um, you gotta. We've mm-hmm. been lucky so far with our management, but uh, you know it's a, a tough labor pool out there. Everyone's offering, uh, you know, livable wages, benefits, everything. How to how do you stand out um, when right. twenty of your neighbors are offering the same thing down the street? So, um, sure. 
Yeah, we're we're shooting for sometime in July. Brewery, so. so if if we can sometime in July. if we can find you know a hundred people <laughs> by then and get them on yeah. staff and trained up, let's go. Um, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Best of luck with that. Thank you. And uh, hope hope everything works out. And uh, if somebody came to you and asked you for advice on opening their own brewery, what would you tell them? Um, just. I don't know. At, at the end of the day, don't give up. Um, you're going to get, you know, have your plan ripped apart. It's going to not go the way that you think it does. Uh, but if you really, really want to open a brewery and if you just keep going day after day, um, making some sort of progress, crawl, walk, run, whatever, uh, you'll get there. Uh, it's just a matter of persistence and, and not letting go. i can't tell you how many times that, you know, it, this business and getting it going, uh, crushed me and I, I didn't want to keep going, but having, uh, having friends and family that's are supportive that will support you when, when you don't want to keep going, that'll, that's a big piece of it too. Cause you know, if someone's saying just, you know, wait till tomorrow, see how you feel before making any big decisions. That's a, that's a, that's a big piece. So, yeah, don't give up. Have a have people around you that support you. Good support system around you. Yeah, that's that is important. Um, and did you happen to have a funny story for us? Oh man, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll tell this. I so Jason, my business partner. He's we both homebrewed together when we uh, opened up Flight Co. We we brewed together a few times, but he very quickly took on all of the production responsibilities and I uh, took on kind of the necessary business accounting, legal finance paperwork, the, the not sexy stuff behind the scenes. Um, so I, I would try to help him out as much as I can. I think after we closed one night, it was probably 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, I'll be nice. I'll transfer this beer to the bright tank for you. Um, so that when you come in in the morning, it'll all be ready. Uh, transferred the beer, took a couple hours, uh, was cleaning up. I think, you know, by the time I was just about ready to get out of there, I was going to flush the hoses out around one, uh, one in the morning. And, uh, the one thing I always underestimate that it surprises me every time that it shouldn't is the water pressure from you know, the city water line that you, you turn on, you know, you're used to the one in your house that's small, but you know, an inch and a half line that you, you crank on has got some serious force behind it. And, uh, I turned the valve and, uh, about a hundred feet of brewer's hose with Porter, just the end of the hose shot off and just exploded all over the brewery and the tap room. <laughs> so, I spent the next few hours uh, cleaning up the porter mess uh, that I made, and it's a it's a dark beer, and when it's splattered yeah. all over walls in certain areas, people ask questions um, about what exactly happened. Um, so I, I'm still finding little remnants of of porter splatters on the ceiling, uh, you know, in between the tanks where you know a little tiny bit could get through. It just created a line all the way up the wall in the hallway to the ceiling. So it, it was a, a lesson in trying to be overly too helpful uh, in the middle of the night and, and 
you know, maybe leaving some stuff to the experts, but yeah, that was, that was fun. I'm still, good, man. It happens, you know? still, still taking flack for that one. Um, constantly. So. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget when I, I bottled some beers and, uh, from a homebrew and the two of them clanked together lightly and just shattered <laughs> like in my face. <laughs> I was finding little pieces of glass for months. Yeah. For months. Yeah. And then one time I did like a re- complete rearrange of my apartment and I just found glass everywhere. And I was like, how did it even get over here? Yeah. It's on the other side of the apartment. I was like, insane. Yeah. Insane. It, but yeah. It's just got to remind you for, for months later of that, that dumb thing that you did. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I have a little segment called Quick Fire Five. Yeah. Five quick questions beer related. Cool. Ready? Let's go. Uh, somebody comes into your brewery. What's one of the beers you recommend they try? Uh, fogged, fogged out hazy IPA. It's uh, fogged out. Seven point three percent New England style. First hazy IPA Jace never made, and he just absolutely nailed the recipe the first time. Um, that's our our most popular beer for sure. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can collab, if you could collaborate with any other brewery on a beer, who would it be? Oh man was not ready for that question <laughs> uh i you know i i would say i haven't reached out yet but i would love to make a beer with left hand someday that would that would be left hand yeah that would hey, be a bucket list item be perfect for me. man yeah circle of life yep you know <laughs> favorite style of beer uh i'm really into uh loggers and pilsners right now um just okay. kind of on the the light beer craft that, that clean tasting yeah it's a it's a good measure of the the process the skills of a brewer a brewer um if they can make a good light beer they can make a good any any type of beer gotcha uh barrel aged imperial or both uh i would say both yeah if you're gonna if you're gonna put it in a barrel let's yeah Get get some extra heavy. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) And you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two week quarantine. Which beer are you choosing? Could be any beer. Oh man, of our beers, uh, I would choose our Aero Mexico uh, Mexican Lager. It's a it's a beer I can drink. You know, I five of not feel. Not feel guilty about it. It's not too heavy. Uh, I'm just imagining the scenario of being on a desert island when you ask that question. So I'm thinking of a hot. Yeah, right. That's pretty much. Yep. It's your desert island beer. So That's pretty much the question. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking it's gonna it, be. I just. Yeah. <laughs> I took it a little, you know, a little different from the whole COVID. <laughs> yeah. You know, the whole COVID uh, aspect because that's kind of where I came up with the idea, I believe. Yeah. So no, I. That that would that would be my just my fit. go-to. Yeah. And I just finished, and that was absolutely delicious. Awesome. I can't wait to have the other one. Yeah. My cousin asked me to share it with him, but I, I'll, I'll see about that. Yeah. We'll see. We might. We but, can. Uh, we can send you another four pack. <laughs> well, I'll be out there, so maybe I'll send some back to him. There myself, you go. Yeah. Even better. Yeah. Come, come <laughs> see us at our, our new location when you when you come by. Yeah, that that'd be awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, that's that's all I got for you. Awesome. No, that's it. That. That was awesome. Thank you. Was, Thank you very much. Been been great chatting with you. Really, really appreciate what you're doing for uh, for us brewers, getting us uh, you know, our names 
out there across the country and and uh, sharing some stories of, of some passionate business owners. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love doing it. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. Here with Eric Sarani, co-owner of Flight Co. Brewing in Denver, Colorado. Thanks, man. Thank you, Mike. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Eric Sarani, co-owner of Flight Co. Brewing in Denver, Colorado. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, visiting a friend nearby, check those guys out. They're about to open another location in an air traffic control tower, so keep an eye out for that. Follow them on social media as well, because I'm sure they'll be posting it on there. Every other Sunday, I'll be releasing a new episode. Subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Check out our YouTube channel, where you get to watch videos of me interviewing brewery owners. It's what we do here. Give us a follow on social media as well, for updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin, for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.